0: All right, well, we are we're starting our new series. It's going to be a summer series that's going to run for June and July, and we are going to be in, in the Psalms, and I'm, I'm looking forward to this for a number of reasons. Um, anybody in here feel like, you know, I'm, I'm a Psalms person, if I'm just going to open up the Bible and just try to find something to read that's going to help me for today, Psalms are going to be my go-to book. All right, Stephen. Stephen is the man of the night. All right. You should, you should have sponsored this evening's uh, youth gathering. We'll get a quote from you later to post with this. Um, there's, a lot, there's a lot in the Psalms that is easy to identify with. Uh, it's, it's true to human experience. Mainly because it, it's 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 written from real people, real you know David and and others that are that are walking through maybe not the exact same events of life that we experience, but the same kinds of things that we bump up against, and and it, it's coming from their heart. And and you know, one theologian I sent this in the email I, I sent out has described the Psalms as an anatomy of the human soul, of all the parts of the human soul. And 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 listen, part of Maturing in life is is understanding how to how to process what you're going through. Why does life feel the way that it does and, and what does it feel like? You know a couple months ago, I talked about this concept of emotional intelligence, and this is something by the way all, all our graduates here as you're looking to college you're looking to to one day sit down in, in a job interview uh, This is something that employers are looking for now. Uh, not just, are you smart? Can you can you work hard? But, but how do you understand yourself? And how do you understand the people around you? Because we relate out of what we're walking through in life and, and how we process our experiences. And the Psalms give us a lot of insight into ourselves. But the reality is, that's not what the book of Psalms is about. The book of Psalms is ultimately about God. It is about taking these these fallen dimensions of life and putting them in contact with the nearness of God. And and they're not just a study of that, right? They, They give us words to sing and content to meditate on in order for us to encounter God and you know, As you, you've heard, the emphasis that we're bringing on Sunday mornings, and it's starting this Sunday, our, our Summer Bible Jam, is going to be about how do we read Scripture in a way that leads us to encounter God. And, and the Psalms are going to provide a lot of help for us uh, in, in our youth series uh, this summer as well. So if you'd go ahead and, and open up to Psalm chapter 16, I'm beginning with one of my favorite Psalms. And tonight we're going to talk about the satisfied Life. All right, think about this. What is it that would make life satisfying? And and is life in a good place for you right now? You know, you're on summer break, and so school's out, and maybe there are vacation plans that you're getting to to look forward to, but but it's not going to be long before your mom starts to hear two famous words, two infamous words. You know what they are? I'm bored, and uh, maybe she's already had to endure those words this week, because time becomes available, space becomes available, and, and all of a sudden we realize, that doesn't quite cut it for me, does it? Because there, there feels like something's missing, some sort of activity is missing here. Uh, perhaps how you feel uh, about life is connected to where things are at right now with your friends. Um, you guys... On a good page, you guys talking with one another, feel like there's connection taking place. Uh, maybe you're facing the reality of, of disappointment. You're not where you thought you would be at this point. Things that seem certain or seemed familiar have suddenly changed on you. And I, I know you, and I know this is true for several of you. You're, you're in a different place right now than you expected to be. Uh, you know, our, our parents in here, you guys can, can experience your own version of, of frenzy in life, everything from financial tension that you might be walking through right now to family dynamics and concerns that might be present there as you're staring into your kids and staring into their, their future and just just wondering what, what does that hold. Uh, there is, you know, this, this is the life that we walk through, but there is a reorientation to life that needs to take place at, at regular key moments. And I need this. I need Psalm 16. I need how it reminds me of things that I so easily forget. So let's read this together. Psalm 16, verse 1. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. and the night also, my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad. My whole being rejoices, my flesh also dwells secure, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Let's pray before we continue. Oh Lord, it is relatively easy to read those words, but it is another thing to experience the reality that they are describing. Would they be true? Or would there be something inside of us that rises and says, amen, I see that. I see God in this way, and therefore I see my life in this way. Lord, even as we're aware, there's a bit of a distance between us and what David describes in this psalm. Lord, would you you narrow that distance and bring us near to you? We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Well, the satisfied life, according to David here, it, it looks like being content in God's protection, being committed to God's people, being confident in God's plan and being complete in God's presence. So first, there's being content in God's protection. Look look at verse one again. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. You know, a a refuge, it was a a place of safety. It was was away from the battlefield or away from the storm. There there, there was a shelter about it. You know, sometimes we talk about people who have experienced a sheltered life, and that could mean anything from, you know, that their parents did everything for them, uh, from their laundry to their homework, and their parents were staying up at 3 a.m. finishing their school project, right? That, that's one version of a sheltered life. We also use that phrase for uh, people who, you know, not just homeschooled, but were homeschooled off of the grid. They only ever wore, like, denim, and they've never been to a movie theater before, right? Uh, but when we talk about being sheltered, we don't tend to see that as a positive Thing And in fact, our, our, our culture has this glorified understanding of danger. Uh, you know, whatever the, the 2017 version of YOLO is, I think by now, that, that's like a 2014 phrase. Is there a replacement for the YOLO now? Uh, not, not, not quite, right? Uh, but, but, you know, pretending to, to do edgy things on Instagram is, is different from actually living a hard life. But David here has no problem with being sheltered. He delights in it. Now, what we know from David's story is that his life was filled with trouble. And, and some of that shows up in the Psalms themselves. And you read from First and Second Samuel. You know, when, when Samuel shows up to anoint the next king of Israel, uh, David gets overlooked. He's not even called to the meeting. He's, he's like the, the son that Jesse's embarrassed of. And he's like, well, yep, here, this is pretty much everybody. And Samuel's like, maybe not quite. And he's like, oh, there, there's this other one, but you wouldn't consider him, right? That's, that's David. He's left out of the party, not invited to the meeting. And then, and then when he is anointed as, as king, he's in this ongoing conflict with Saul. Uh, he becomes the most wanted man in Israel. He's always on the run. Uh, and then, when he joins in, in, in into the kingdom, there are massive problems in this man's family, right? One of his sons abuses one of his daughters and then one of his other sons rises up and kills that guy and then he ends up in in exile and then he starts this insurrection against his own father and says, you know what, I think I'm going to be king now and David's having to manage all of this and that same guy is going to end up, Absalom, he's going to end up uh, hanging himself to death by accident by his hair because he had these long locks of hair that get wrapped up in a tree. And that's just a little bit of of some of the things that David experienced. But those things, they seem to recede to the background here. Dale Ralph Davis says, In Psalm 16, there isn't quite that on-edge air of emergency as in other Psalms of David. This Psalm is more restful. Here he ponders what anchors him rather than what alarms him. That's a good phrase right there. Because there's a lot that alarms us. There's a lot that we walk through in life where the the light is blinking, the the alarm is sounding. It's telling you danger, risk, this is bad, things are about to tank. Okay, what anchors you in that moment? Do you know? David knew, and he is thinking about that here, and he, he brings a request that comes with an argument and he says, "Protect me, O oh God, because I take refuge in you." Right, here, here's my question for you. Where do you go for refuge? Where do you go for a sense of safety? Because everybody has a refuge. You know, when, when life becomes disappointing or it's confusing, it's painful. What do you turn to? Uh, Do you turn to your fidget spinner? Look at this uh, write-up from Wikipedia. This is a serious uh, argument for this uh, gadget here. A fidget spinner is a type of toy whose marketers claim it relieves stress. The toy has been advertised as helping people who have trouble with focusing or fidgeting by acting as a release mechanism for nervous energy or psychological stress. I love this. Experts were divided on this claim with some supporting it while others disputed its scientific basis and argued the toy may actually be more distracting. And that's why uh, this lovely picture has been making its uh, rounds uh, in the Internet. Um, now, I don't got anything uh, particularly against fidget spinners. I think they're kind of mesmerizing. Uh, I think whoever invented them thought, hey, here's how you just capture a group of people right here. But this is a, this is a cultural illustration for us. But because many of us, we know more about distracting ourselves out of difficulty than we know how to do what David does in Psalm 16. So when you feel stressed or you feel depressed, what do you do? You just keep swiping past the social media feeds on your phone while your eyes glaze over? Do you binge watch something on Netflix You return to certain websites and and video content that you know you have no business viewing, but just something about it, it just feels like it brings distraction to you. Maybe you go shopping, spend away your troubles, or you find something to eat, or maybe you find somebody that you can gossip with, but all the problematic people that are in your life. What do you do? What do you take refuge in when life feels Unpredictable. Do you turn away from God or do you turn toward God and talk about it with him? Because David knows that it's our refuge that defines goodness for us, right? Whatever it is we go to for comfort and peace is our functional God. And he says that the Lord is the only one who should have this place in our lives. And so he says in verse 2, I say to the Lord, and this is his determination." Because he knows we don't always live this. But I'm determining, I say to the Lord, you are my good. You are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. And he's saying, you're the only good that I need. Now, does that mean that, you know, if we were really serious about God, we wouldn't care about anything else in life, and we would just tell our friends, goodbye, I'm just relating with God from now on, and there's nothing fun we would ever want to pursue or do. Now, that, that's not what he means here, obviously, because in the next verse, he's going to say, you know, the saints in the land, they're all my delight. And so, so the issue is, if we're going to delight in other things, other good things in life, they're going to be connected in some way to God. Being our good. And so the question to ask yourself is there anything or anyone that, if you could have that but not have God, that would be enough for you? You would be content. Or or put another way, what would you be more upset if it's lost or taken away than you would be upset to lose God? What, What if your parents? and you were about to get punished, you, you did something, and you were in trouble. And they, and they said, all right, I'm taking away your phone for a month. Or, you can't talk to that guy, or you can't talk to that girl right now, right? And, and, and that was the, the punishment. And then they thought again, they said, or, or how's about this? If you'd rather, uh, no Bible reading for a month, and that could be your punishment. Would you jump on that deal? That might feel like a sweet deal. You're ready. Okay, sure. I'll take the phone back and, and you can have my Bible, right? Uh, if so, then God is essentially irrelevant to what we're defining as good. At, at best, he's just a means to the end and not the end itself And so this psalm comes with a warning, right? Beware of counterfeits. Verse four: The sorrows of those who run after another god shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out, or take their name on my lips. Now, unless you're, uh, you know, a secret vampire, a uh, bloody drink probably doesn't appeal uh, to us. But you ever thought about this? Why on earth would Israelites be tempted to worship other gods, other idols? And, you know, it would typically, it wouldn't mean that the God of Israel, Yahweh, just gets abandoned altogether and we're done with you. No, there, there would be this ongoing association with Yahweh and, and, and with the temple and with worship of him, but they would also look at, you know, their neighbors living next door and, 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 and they, their crops were growing and their family was doing great. And it looked like, you know, there's some abundance coming into your life. What's your secret? And they say, you know, every Saturday I go down and I bring an offering to Baal. And, and, you know, there are particular adventurous elements that I'm not going to go into, What were involved in in bringing that offering that made it especially tempting. But it was a fun thing to do. But but the point is, hey, if you you bring this offering to Baal, and Baal doesn't mind that you're a Yahweh worshiper. He's fine with that, right? Uh, You know how tempting it would be? I'm not going to leave God, but maybe there's something to that. Maybe if I just on the side bring some of these offerings, then maybe that's going to work. And my family's going to be fed. And we're going to have enough to eat. You see, there's this temptation of this additional aspect of safety. Let me cover all my bases just in case it proves that God isn't quite enough for me. And we do the same thing. There are other things that we're going to just in case God doesn't show up. And this is an alternative refuge that we we go to, what we go to, to to fulfill us and give us meaning. And here David describes it as running after another God. It's a picture of exhaustion, constant management. And he says it only leads... To sorrow. That's not just a warning for people who bow down to wooden statues. Uh, The novelist David Foster Wallace is really interesting. He he was not a Christian, um, but at at a graduation uh, commencement address, a college graduation, this is what he said. He said, There's no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And an outstanding reason for choosing to worship God is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough. Never feel you have enough. It's the truth. Worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally plant you. Worship power, you will feel weak and afraid, and you will need ever more power over others to keep the fear at bay. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart, you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud. Always on the verge of being found out and so on. And just pick up whatever your personal category and flavor is. And we know this is true. The thing about us that we often put our hope in and just want to achieve and want to arrive at, we are always second-guessing and worrying. I don't know if I'm enough. I don't know if I'm there yet. I'm racing after other gods. And listen, this is a burnout and overstressed culture. And there's a lot that's being written today about teen stress. And and I I recognize, I know there's a lot of demand on your lives. And I'm glad there's a summer break. I know for some of you, you don't get much of a summer break, depending on what you're involved in over the summer. But not all of that. And, 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 And learn this about yourself. When you're feeling stressed out and when you're feeling like life is just too much for me right now, is that only on the outside of you? Or does that have to do with what's on the inside of you as well? It's not just busyness that makes us experience this. It's it's our striving and our appetites. These idols that we're tempted to serve are slave drivers. And they never deliver on what they promise. They just use and abuse and leave people with sorrow. But satisfaction in God brings safety and rest. This is a man at rest. And if you're content in God, you're committed to God's people, right? The second thing we see here, and I'll move more quickly with these other ones. Verse three, as for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. And where do you get your sense of community? And community is a buzzword uh, right now, and, and, and it should be because we're relational creatures. God, God has made us this way ultimately to reflect his own nature, which is relational. And, and, and that's why loneliness can be such a painful experience and, and one of a, a teenager's greatest fear, being alone, being left out, because we, we feel a need for other people, for community. And, and so who does that for you? And maybe there's just a particular set of a group of two or three other friends. You feel like they understand me. This, this, is, this is where life makes sense. Uh, you go to them. Maybe there's a group at your, your school where you get a sense of community from. I know many of you are involved in, in sports teams and, and other activities that provide uh, that for you. Uh, there are social media followers, right? Do you, do you get a sense of community dependent on how many people on the planet have pictures of you streaming into their life? Uh, does that do it for you? And, and all those communities are fine to have. And we probably should have some of them if we're going to be a light in this world. But, but here, David takes the people of God and he places them in a unique category. He's saying there's something different about God's people, about the saints. And, and, and they are the ones he's eager to get around and to love. A good indicator of whether or not you are satisfied in God is whether or not you enjoy being around the people of God. And I don't just mean people your age. I mean the the church body, with all of its variety and all of its diversity, do you see yourself as sharing life's most important realities with them? There's something that that brings you together with the 70-year-old widow in, in this church more than somebody who be, might be your same age, have the exact same interests as you, might go to the same school as you, but doesn't know the Lord. Do you realize you've got more in common with her that will last for all eternity? She will be part of the family that will be with you forever. And, and David loves this. If you only ever give attention to people who are like you, why do you do that? Might it be because you feel like that validates the way that you are? And again, if God isn't enough for you, then then you're going to be looking to to people to give you a sense of worth, which means your relationships are going to be very self-serving, and so you only pursue people who, who do something for you who give you this sense of affirmation and and, and who make your choices and interests seem significant or especially if if you are second guessing some of the things that you're into and some of the choices that you've made you you want to surround yourself with people who are like an echo chamber to that and say yeah i'd be all about that too why do we do that because we're insecure in ourselves And we just surround ourselves with mirrors. But David has a freedom here to delight in all of God's people. Even those who are different. Even the weirdos. (laughs) He loves them. Uh, Jared Wilson tweeted this out this week. He said, and and by this, they will know you are Christians by your mere toleration of one another. Not Jesus. That's not what he said. But, but often that's what we're fine with. We could do that to the people that are in this room. As long as I'm not just like blatantly mean to you and constantly making fun of you and tearing you down, but I'm just kind of okay. Sure, I'm okay with you sitting three seats over from me, but that's all I'll do to move towards you or express any care for you. We have not arrived at what Jesus describes as the distinguishing mark of his people in this world. So just ask yourself this, right? Be honest. Do people have to meet some sort of standard in order for you to care about them? They have to be funny enough or pretty enough or athletic enough or like you enough, relevant to where you are, and you don't give any effort to get to know people who are older than you or younger than you. or just They they just don't laugh at the same jokes that you do, but they share Christ with you. Is there anything inside of you that says, there's delight in me toward them? And I get to spend eternity with them. Because when you're freed from love of self to be content in God, then you love his people. All right, third, confidence in God's plan. Look at verse five. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup, you hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also, my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. You ever feel shaken? All right, that's that sense of being disturbed. Insecure. Life does not feel safe. Or do you feel secure in who God has you to be? Are you constantly playing the mind games? Assessing what people think of you? And Some of you, if I, if I did what I, you know, pulled up the panel earlier, but I said, all right, come up here and, and, and you just share with us, just to tell us two things about You know, your relationship with God and and what you're seeing Him do right now. Or maybe even if I didn't do that, I just asked you to solve a basic math problem, but in front of all of us. Uh, You would be paralyzed by that. Not because you don't know the answer, right? It's It's not a knowledge problem, it's this I don't want to say something stupid. Because I don't know what people will do with that. If I, you know, so I, I'd rather just be quiet. And I, I could call on you. I could say, "All right, tell me this." That has no effect on you because there's this sense of insecurity. You have imaginary conversations in your head and trying to get the better of some argument or show up in places and search the room, figuring out who's going to accept you. Always wanting life to change. Feeling like. I just haven't arrived yet where I've hoped to be or I need to escape where I'm at. Well, for David, the boundary lines of life had fallen in pleasant places. And and, and again, it was not because the features of his life were very pleasant. You just look at his biography. It was because the Lord held his lot, right? Because he's at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Shaken. I'm not going to be shaken by what you say. I'm not going to be shaken by some unanswered question. I'm not going to be shaken by loss or, or grief or fear of the unknown. And he takes this all the way. Look, look, look at where he goes. He brings us all the way to death. Because what we're ultimately afraid of is death. And if we feel insecure, it's because we're, we're clinging to something inside of us that needs to die and we're terrified that it would get taken away. And David invites us to embrace this. Verse nine, therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, the, the realm of the dead, it's the grave, Or let your Holy One see corruption. Now, notice he doesn't say, you're not going to let me experience death. But he says, you're not going to abandon me to there. You're not going to leave me in the grave. But he might let us stay there for three days before Sunday's resurrection comes. And that's ultimately where this psalm is is pointing, right? This isn't just about David here. This is how Peter applies it. In Acts chapter 2, Jesus is the holy one. He's the anointed one uh, that will not see corruption, right? Acts 2 verse 30, "...being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ." That he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are witnesses. And here's what makes the gospel good news, and, and why when you hear something like that, that's not just about him and what God did for him. What Jesus is, he is for us. And when that happened, you were there. And I was there, right? If, if we're in him, if we've trusted in him, we were on the cross, we were buried in the grave, and when he stepped out of the tomb and he left death behind him, we were right there on the scene in him. You've already died. And you already live. And, and the day is coming when, when our bodies and everything else is just going to catch up to what's already True of us. But what this means is that Jesus' resurrection, which which Paul says in, in Romans 4, Jesus was raised for our justification. And justification, it's this word that it just means you're right. You're in the right. You are approved. There's nothing wrong about you. And the thing about justification is that's not true of us. Right Justification is not us getting our act together and figuring out how to live a life that's pleasing to God and then he's going to accept us. It's Jesus' perfect life and us in him being accepted. But when Jesus hung on the cross, he hung as a criminal. He hung as a blasphemer. People in Israel, right? The Old Testament said this. Whoever hangs on, on, on a tree, they're under the curse of God. That's, that's somebody that God has left behind. That's how evil and wicked that person must be. And, 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 and moms would have taken their kids and pointed at the people hanging on the cross and, and telling them, listen, when you grow up, I don't want you to be like that man. Don't you turn out like him. That dude's a menace, Right? And people would have stared at Jesus and concluded that about him. And he's in the grave. But that's not the end of the story. And so when when Jesus rises from the dead, when God raises up Jesus, that is a declaration over him. That, That is an undoing of the trial. That is an undoing of all the condemnation and saying, no, he's in the right he is accepted. He's perfect. Don't believe this sentence that they made over him. And what the New Testament says is, and you and I were right there. And God said that over us. Now listen, we can know all of this somewhere in our heads. And it can be totally distant and not affecting right now. Do I feel like I'm in the right before God and before others. I love this thought from Russell Moore. I've quoted it in in this setting before, but just very rich and a lot that we need. He says this, I don't need to protect myself or vindicate myself. I sure don't need to hide. If the word of God is true, then God sees me in Christ Jesus, and I have then already been executed, buried, and raised from the dead. I am safe. All my self-protection is pathetic because it obscures the most important truth I've ever known, the gospel. How can I fear death when I've already drowned in my own blood, already been spiked to a pole in the Middle East? How can I fear public humiliation When I've already been dressed up in a king costume in order to be tortured by my country's occupiers, can you believe Jesus underwent the most embarrassing, humiliating way that you could die? And that's what we fear. Oh, God, protect me from being humiliated. Often that's what our prayers are. If we're we're asking God to do stuff, too often it just looks like, don't let me fail. Don't let people see that I'm a failure. Don't let it all fall apart. Listen, it has all fallen apart and gone to the gutter already for us. That's the nature of sin. And we were in him. All that has happened to me because I am in Christ. His life is my life. And not only that, but God has already proven to me what he thinks of me. Now that is designed to rescue you. That's designed to liberate you right there. But it'll only happen if what God thinks of you is what matters most. Because if his declaration of vindicated over your life is just a whisper in the background of your doubts and worries and concerns, you're not living in the good of what's been purchased for you. Psalm 16 is about a man living in the good of this, celebrating it. And it affects him. And we need this, and I need this as well. What brings this kind of perspective to us, right? Final thought for us. Complete in God's presence. And Ben, go ahead and come back up, man. Verse 11. You make known to me the path of life, In your presence, there's fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Right? That's what we're after, right? So much holds forth a promise. We think, okay, that's going to satisfy. And you pick it up to take a drink out of it. And you realize it was poked through with holes and everything is draining out of it. You ever just sit down and think about that? Things that at one moment, and look, you're at a place where you already have a history of this. At one moment you thought, that's what's gonna do it for me. That's what's gonna excite me. That's what's gonna complete me. That's what's gonna make life feel like it's in a good place. And you you picked it up and you drank everything that you could get out of it and before you had taken the first sip it was already empty anything that we encounter in this fallen world will do that to us this is pleasures forever more fullness of joy completion in god and that's what we're after now we 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 will only experience this if we believe it. And God's got to awaken some initial faith, something to me that says, God, by faith, I'm going to draw near. Because your presence, right? He's not just talking about the fact that God's omnipresent here, right? There's something about an experienced reality near to God, drawing near to Him in His presence. That's designed to have this effect on us, and if that's not what we're experiencing, the problem is not that God's presence is not satisfying. The problem is we're distracted, or we're conflicted, or there's something that we don't want to let die, and God wants it to go into the grave in order for you to experience this. And so we come and we bring small capacities to have something of god and find you know, god just doesn't do that much for me the problem is not that psalm 16 isn't true we've not trusted that it's true enough to say i'm going to i'm going to lean in i'm going to pursue more and look that that that's the burden for us for Youth camp. I know that's the burden for us for this summer and and, and what we're pursuing. But I just want to pray that the Lord would awaken faith in this reality in us. You know, we sang earlier. In Your presence, there is freedom. In Your presence, we are made whole. the The fall has turned us into half people, and we we look to experiences and we look to other people to complete us, to fill up what is lacking and it's in his presence we're made whole. We're made complete. So let's stand together. I just want us to close in singing about that and trusting that God's going to lead us to experience him in this way.